This morning we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't have a copy of Scripture, you can grab, there should be one somewhere around you. Uh, You can grab that Bible somewhere around you and we'll be on page 1345. It's going to be a minute before we get there. Um, but because I want to like want to unpack some things before we get to this text, I want you to think with me about labels, okay? Labels that we either give ourselves or labels that other people give us. And so, for instance, I'll just pick on myself since I'm up here with the microphone attached to my face. Uh, people have called me bald before, surprisingly enough. Uh, when I was in my 20s, that was offensive. Uh, then there came a point when I finally embraced it, and uh, I wear it as a badge of honor now. And, and so I've labeled myself uh, bald. Uh, and if you call me bald, I, I take no offense. And, uh, but uh, there's all sorts of labels that uh, are attached to us. So before God called me to ministry, I was, a, I was a fireman for 14 years, and so I worked at the fire department. So I referred to myself, my, labeled myself, and other people labeled me as a as a fireman, and so what? Maybe, by, maybe by our career, maybe your career, maybe maybe you would label yourself a teacher or an electrician or a police officer, or you know, you just fill in the blank. And a lot of times, we'll take our career paths and we'll we'll label label ourselves in that direction. Maybe it's um maybe you're a parent, and so you take on the label of father or mother. Maybe um, maybe you're a teenager. Right? Maybe you're in high school, and so you're like your your label is is teenager, or maybe as a teenager you play a specific sport. And so, I'm a soccer player. I'm a basketball player. I'm a football player. I'm a you, you know like we do these things. Or maybe you're a fan of a particular team. I know the I know the Alabama fans. They care, they catch a lot of slack around here. I'm not going to do that today, okay? But but you're you're labeled as as a fan of that team. So all the Alabama fans understand that there are a lot of people that labeled themselves Tennessee fans last week. Now, they're not really Tennessee fans, but they labeled themselves as Tennessee, Tennessee fans. Maybe you're a Saints fan. It's not really good to be a Saints fan since Drew Brees retired and Sean Payton left. Like, it's, it's hard to label yourself that, but, but we label ourselves with, with these labels. So if, if we are talking, having a conversation about your faith, as a child of God, a believer, how, would you, how do we label ourselves? What's the label? You can talk to me. I don't care. What's the label? Follower of Christ? The, the overarching disciple, all these things. But like we, we oftentimes, we're labeled by the world, and we often label ourselves as Christian. Agreed? That's the, that's the overarching idea is that we're, we're Christians. Okay, well, I want to have a conversation before we, we launch into our text this morning. Like, what, is, what does Christian mean? What is the definition of, of Christian? And so here's, here's the definition that you can find in the dictionary. Relating to or professing Christianity or its teachings. So relating to or professing Christianity or its teachings. Or one who professes belief in the teaching of Jesus Christ. Okay, one who professes belief in the teaching of Jesus Christ. That makes sense to us. So here's the question. Many of you may know the answer to this. Maybe many of you don't know the answer to this, but I think it's important to, to ask. How many times does the word Christian come up in the New Testament? How many times do we see that in the New Testament? I see a few of you holding up fingers. Three times. 
Okay? Three times we see the word Christian in, in Scripture. And, and, and understand that this is, uh, when we see it in Scripture, this is not how believers describe themselves. This, is, this is, uh, was more of a derogatory term that outsiders used to describe the Jesus community. Like people within the Jesus community did not describe themselves as Christians. They called themselves something completely different. Uh, when I did work at the fire department, uh, I, you know, I worked there for 14 years, but there was a season in that time where, uh, where me and Kevin Lundy, who's a member of this church, we were real good friends, he's a Christian, and another friend of mine who was a follower of Christ, he worked there. And so I didn't realize it, but we, we got labeled the God Squad. Now, we didn't label ourselves the God Squad, but outsiders were labeling the Jesus community. Now, I took it as a compliment but I don't think they meant it as a compliment, right? And, and so, but, but it was outsiders that labeled the Jesus community the God Squad. You with me? You following? You tracking? So, so we see that in, in Scripture, this is like, like the people who were with Jesus, this is not how they described themselves. This is not, the, like Jesus didn't describe his followers as Christians. He called them something different. He called them disciples. He called them disciples. And, uh, you know, this is not to say, okay, we've missed it all along, guys. We've been calling ourselves Christians. We're really disciples. That's not what this is. It's like you got to say, hey, you need to stop calling yourself Christian. You call, so we're only disciples from here, from here on out. That's not what we're talking about, okay? But it is important for us to have this conversation because we are in the midst of a discipleship series. We are not in the middle of a Christian ship series. Make sense? And so if we're going to have a conversation about discipleship, don't we need to have an understanding about what a disciple, what a disciple is? Doesn't that make sense? Don't we need to differentiate the two things? And so here's the definition of a disciple. A disciple is someone who adheres to the teaching of another. Adheres, embraces the teaching, follows the teaching of of another. The picture we see in scripture is that that it's a that a disciple is a learner, a pupil, an apprentice. We we have this we like we understand apprenticeships in our culture and like someone will come alongside and they'll learn uh, a trade through apprenticeship and it's a it's a period of time. So, disciple ultimately means follower. So here's my here's my definition as, as we move forward this morning. A disciple is someone who learns from someone to live like them okay disciple you're learning from someone to live like them or to do what they do okay does that make sense and so here's something we need to understand from the get-go a disciple is someone who cares about growing okay a disciple is someone who cares about growing if you're going to live uh, learn from someone to live like them, then you care about growing. Whether it's an apprenticeship or whatever we're talking about, like if you're going to follow someone, that means you're a learner, you're a pupil, you care about growing. Now look, calling yourself a disciple instead of a Christian is not going to change anything. It's, it's not just like, hey, we're going to use a different label, we're going to add a label, we're not. This is what he's called us to. As followers of Christ, this is what he's called us to. And so we can't misunderstand 
We can't redefine what it is. How many, how many times do you think disciple is found in the New Testament? Christians three times, disciple is over 250 times. 260, 261. So we're going to read every passage where... <laughs> Just kidding. The point is, is that, uh, that we... The Bible has a lot to say about what it means to be a disciple. Jesus had a lot to say about what it meant to be a disciple. Here's just a few, just, just a few that, that, uh, to launch into our discussion. In John chapter 8, Jesus said, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples. In Luke 14, he says, Whoever does not bear his own cross... And follow after me cannot be my disciple. In Luke chapter 14, 14, he says, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And this is personally my, my favorite, Luke chapter 6. A disciple, and this is Jesus talking, a disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. That is the understanding. That's the picture of of discipleship here. You remember when we started this whole conversation in this series that Matt talked, he spent a lot of time talking about being before doing. Like we, we need to be with Christ before we do for Christ. And he used Mary and Martha as an example, if you remember. And so, you know, Martha is serving frantically, and he talked about this idea that, hey, you can serve without being a servant, right? And so Martha's all upset because Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus, and she's not helping in any way, shape, or form. But then Jesus says, hey, you're anxious talking to Martha. You're anxious about a whole lot of things. Mary has chosen the good thing. And so, but, but Mary didn't just like she didn't just stay at Jesus' feet, but she, she was at Jesus' feet. She was discipled by Jesus. She was with Jesus. And then that led to her having an impact for Jesus. Because the Bible says that she went out from there and many believed in Jesus. That because of the work that God had done in her, that she uh, was a big part of people being transformed for, for Christ. And so we see that clearly that as she was with Jesus, as she focused on Jesus, then the kingdom and his mission became front and center in her life, became a huge priority in her life. She cared about growing. She cared about growing. So we see that. In John chapter 13, in John chapter 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. A couple weeks ago, Tony was talking about how like, like we, we find our security in the love of God. That we live from the Father's love. That we live our lives from the, from the Father's love. And that's the picture that we see in Scripture. And so when Jesus makes, and like when he's talking, he says, just as I have loved you, right? This idea that we live from his love. But we also understand that discipleship takes place within the context of, of community. Because Jesus could have said anything here. But he says, look, you're going to, he didn't even say like, 
the world's going to know you're my disciples because you look just like me. He says the world's going to know you're my disciples by what? Our love for one another. He's talking to, he's talking to believers, okay? And he's saying the way in which you love one another, there's going to be a special bond. There's going to be a special love. There's going to, this is not just going to be any community, any label. This is something very, very special and has been intended to be done within the context of community. He could have said anything, but this is what he said here. And so our second point is, is that a disciple is someone who cares about the growth of other disciples. A disciple is someone who cares about the growth of other disciples. That is extremely important. And we're going to spend a ton of time talking about that truth this morning. It's very important for us to to understand that. Why? Why? Why should we care about the growth of other disciples? Well, here's, here's why we should care about the growth of other disciples. You know, uh, so I have a 27-year-old and a 24-year-old. My son's 27. My daughter's 24. Um, and so, uh, you know, my son was born. And then a few years later, my, my daughter was, was born. And I can remember uh, in that time, and my son was massive when he was born. And so they induced, they were inducing my daughter. Uh, he was almost 11 pounds. And so they were inducing my daughter because they're like, we don't want to do that to you again. Right, and, and so, um, so we were inducing, we went in early that morning, and, uh, and then like nothing happened, and it got to be about uh, 12 o'clock and, uh, in the afternoon, and they're like, hey, you know, family, go home, we'll try this again another day, and then all of a sudden, boom, man, it's like within like 30 minutes, she was having a baby, like we're done, we're calling it quits, going home, I can remember them coming in, and uh, this was before you like had a baby in the same room that you're staying in, and so they come in, and they they throw the gown and all the stuff at me, and they're like, we hope you make it, and they wheel her out into the delivery loom, and I'm, I'm in there just throwing stuff on, and you know, I come running there, I got stuff hanging all off them, but I get in there, and and, and uh, then my daughter was born, and and in that moment, we were, you know, we were very intentional leading up to the birth of my daughter. And so we wanted my son to understand, like, you're, like this baby's yours too. Like, you're going to be big brother. That it's not just, hey, this is, right? No, that you're a part of it. That we're a family. And I can remember my son at three years old, like, sitting there holding his baby sister on the couch, you know, and being a part of of that decision. You know, when, when friends came over later in life, and like maybe friends come over and spent the night, and, uh, you know, they didn't show up to the house, and um, they're like, hey, who's the, who's the girl in the other room? He's like, I don't know. She just showed up one day. I don't know. No. She's part of the family. You, you with me? Like, she's part, of, she's part of the family. And one of the things I love about this place is we see this as a place where we're family. And so last week, man, we get to celebrate all the things that God is doing in and through the Joseph home. I love the fact that, that we don't see Jeff and Tish and the guys out at the Joseph home as people who go to our church, but we see them as people as part of our family. People that are part of our family. So many of you, you'll You'll go and be part of the golf tournament in a couple weeks and support them. Many of you, you're involved in the ministry out there continually. Last week, you guys, you gave $6,500 to the work to help just serve and love and, and serve the people of the Joseph home. And what a, 
what a blessing and what a testimony of the fact that, hey, this isn't just something we're doing. This is who we are as a body of believers, that we're, that we're family. That, that when, you, when you become a child of God, you're adopted by the Father. So we're adopted. We enter relationship. Like that's the beautiful thing about being a Christian is like we become sons and daughters of the King. But when we become sons and daughters of the King, we become brothers and sisters in Christ. That's important for us to understand, that we become part of a, a family. That is extremely important for us to understand. And so we're not, we're not orphans, we're adopted into a family. And we, we, we begin as infants, but the goal is, is that we're to grow into mature members of the household and the family of God. Okay? So Ephesians chapter 4. you got to understand, when, when Paul gets to chapter 4, in the first three chapters, there's one command. Like, he literally spends the first three chapters just laying out a foundation for their, the people in Ephesus that they understand that their identity is in Christ. Just listen. This is just a few things in the first 14 verses. Listen to what he says. You are in Christ Jesus. This is in, that's in verse 1. In verse 3, he says that you are, uh, he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. In verse 4, he says he chose us in him. In verse 5, that we've been adopted to himself as sons. In verse 6, that about his glory, we have received his glorious grace. In verse 7, that we have received redemption through his blood for the forgiveness of our trespasses. Further in verse 7, he says, uh, we have received the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us. And down in verse 13, that he has sealed us with the promise of his Holy Spirit. And then he just continues to go on and on and on about how our identity is in Christ. And this is why. This is why. Because we'll never know what to do until we know who we are. We have to know who we are in order to know what to what to do. This is why being is so much. We've got to be with Christ before we can ever do for Christ. That's why it's so important. All right? And so then he prays at the end of chapter 3. And then the very next thing is he addresses the people here. This is what, this is what he says. Let me, let me pray as we, as we open God's word. Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. We pray in this moment that you would speak to our hearts, that you would help us to, God, to hear your voice. God, to, to know your will. God, thank you for this place that we get to come in here as family. We get to, we get to come before your word as brothers and sisters in Christ, getting to hear from our Father. And so, Lord, in this moment, in this time, we pray that you would accomplish your purposes and do your will in each and every heart in each and every life, in Christ's name. Amen. All right, verse 1. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the hope, uh, to the one hope, that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all in, and in all. But grace, uh, no, we'll stop right there. So, so what we see, one, our first point is going to be that deep discipleship is grounded in a specific place. Deep discipleship is grounded in a 
specific place. Look, he's like, hey, this, just think of all the ones he listed here. One body, okay, talking about the body of Christ. One spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. And then he goes on to say that, hey, there's a calling. God has a calling on your life. God has a calling on your life that nothing's changed. This is true for us as well. It's true for us individually and it's true for us corporately. That God has a calling on our lives. And it's to, to live like Christ. And he puts this emphasis on unity on the, and when he makes a statement about the one body. There's this idea of, of oneness and unity, closeness and harmony as believers. Every saved believer is a member of the body. And we live in a culture, we live in a world where we have access, unlimited access to, to many, many amazing things. Like I'm, I'm, a, like I'm a huge fan of podcasts. Man, I, I love, because I can learn so much, man. I, I listen to all kinds of podcasts, whether it's leadership podcasts. Sometimes I'm just listening to sermons from other churches, or maybe it's this, or maybe it's that. But, like, there's so many different things that I'm constantly, because it just helps me. It helps, it helps grow me. It helps shape me. It helps me uh, grow in my, in my walk. You know, there's so many gifted writers that are writing blogs. We can, we can tune in to just about any church service anywhere in the world anytime we want to you can watch a sermon online you there there are people in this very moment that are that are streaming this service that that we're able to to tune in there's people that um that have had to move and maybe they've moved to a different area but they're able to still stay connected in some way shape or form as they tie into uh the services uh here and watch and watch online we can, we can tune into quality worship online, see some of the most gifted musicians and worship leaders lead worship. Like we, we, we have that access at our fingertips at any point in time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. But here's the point I want to make. Those things are good. They are to, they are to aid in the discipleship process, but they cannot form disciples the way the local church can. It'll never, those things will never form deep discipleship. It's never going to, never going to happen. Digital and disembodied discipleship will never create deep disciples. Digital and disembodied. So digital, what we, what we can see and experience on a screen, or disembodied, something we see from a remote location. Our involvement is, is remote. Okay? We have access to the best digital resources possible. But, but you, you know, we, we're going to continue to stream. That's one of the great things that happened through COVID is we began streaming because we didn't have a choice. But now it's like, you know, so when someone's sick or when someone has surgery or when someone, like, it it gives the opportunity for people in our faith family to be able to stay connected, but it's, it should only be for a season. If the only access we have is through a digital form, then we are missing it. We're never going to be the disciples that we're called to be outside of, uh, outside of biblical community and the faith family. It should never replace. It should only supplement. 
In verses 2 and 3, we see, he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another. You don't have to bear with one another watching something online, right? But we see bearing bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity. Like, we have to work to maintain this unity because we understand that, that life is messy. Like, it's, it's not always, I'm not saying that discipleship is easy. I'm just saying it's worth it. And so sometimes it's, sometimes it's messy. It's in person. It's, it's visible. It's life-on-life discipleship. And we are formed by our places, but we also help form our places. And so we're formed, you should be being formed by the people that gather here in this faith family, but you should also be helping form the people that are gathered here in this faith family. Does that make sense? And so we're meant to share, not just ideas, not just information, we're meant to share our lives. That's what, uh, that's what Paul's talking about in First Thessalonians. He says, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, Wonderful information. The gospel is good news. And so he's like, hey, we're going to share with you this information so you can be shaped and formed by the information. But not only that, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. Like, I care about you. That's, that's what he's saying. Like, I want to I be with you because, because we've been together and we've helped shape and form our lives with one another. Like, I care deeply about you. You know, uh, you come in here, we come in here every single week, and we see the pathway on the, on the wall over here. And, and the goal is, is that, that through the pathway, that each one of us would, would take a step into deeper discipleship and deeper community. And so we gather in here, and we get to know God, and we get to gather around His Word. And there's a, there's a level of discipleship that takes place when we gather in this place. Right, but but what we just read in Philippians, I'm sorry, in First Thessalonians, that can't take place in pews. Agreed? Like to to share also our own selves because you have become very dear to us, and so we've got to step into community. And so the goal is that as we step into community, there's a deeper level of discipleship, and from there we step into discipleship groups where we really just get in get in in each other's business, right? We love and care and shape and, and help form other people's lives in the faith. And then the goal is, to, is that it's God's mission. It's his mission that we make him known in all the world. And so the pathway is designed to help us along the discipleship journey. That's why it's there. All right, verse 7, let's pick up. Verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Verse 9, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Deep discipleship is with a specific group of people. Deep discipleship is with a specific 
group of people. So we understand that it, there, there's a place where people are meant to gather so that we can truly be family the way God has called us to. We agree with that? But it's also with a specific group of people. That we're, we're not just a church, that we're, that we're family. 1 Timothy says this, If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the what? The household of God, which is the church of the living God. That we're, that we're part of a we're part of a family, that we're not just, we're not just spiritual orphans, right? That we're, that we're more than that, that we're adopted sons and, and daughters. That here, here's what I, I was thinking about this week as I was prepared. We're not spiritual orphans. We were orphans. That was our story, but that's not our story anymore. We're adopted sons and daughters of the king, Right? And we're, we're part of a family. And so one of the things that I, I know is true for orphans. Orphans didn't, don't have people to look out and to care for them. They have to care for themselves. And they're only concerned with themselves because they have to, if they're not going to look out for themselves, then who is? And so a spiritual orphan has no, no father or mother to, to care. Because the, and so what happens is, is if we see ourselves as um, as spiritual orphans, then we begin to only care about our own formation and not be concerned about the formation of those around us. We spent the last several weeks talking about how important it is for our formation is. And so the, what I want us to understand, that we shouldn't just be concerned about our own formation in the family of God. Like he's called us to care about the family and the family's formation. We're not spiritual orphans. We're sons and daughters, part of a, part of a family. We have brothers and, and sisters in Christ. These spiritual orphans, they're just trying to survive. Personally, they're trying to survive. They don't have time or any margin to care about something's going on for somebody else. But we're, we're sons and daughters of the king. That, that within the family, we have, we have spiritual fathers and mothers that can care for us. We have spiritual brothers and sisters that can encourage us. That we, we can have spiritual sons and daughters that we care for ourselves. And we can have spiritual brothers and sisters that we too can encourage. It goes, it goes both ways. One of the primary characteristics of a family is that we care for one another as much as we care for ourselves. It's not just our own formation. That we care about the formation of others. That we're concerned about the spiritual health of all members in the family. That makes sense. We're not only, we not only care, but we're, we're invested. Jesus is the perfect picture here. He says, hey, he, he ascended. What does it mean? But that he had also descended into the low, lower regions of the earth. In other words, he didn't just say, I care about the growth. He came. Like he left the glory of heaven and stepped into our world and showed us what it looks like to care about the formation of people for the salvation but also the formation in Philippians chapter 2 Philippians chapter 2 let each of you not only look to his own interest but to the interest of others that there's this idea that we're not just concerned or consumed with ourselves. And then if you continue reading that passage, you say, Jesus is our ultimate example and picture of what this means and what this looks like. 
He's the ultimate example of what it means to walk in humility and consider other people before ourselves. He's the perfect picture of that. A few weeks ago, Matt made the point that we live in a very me-centered, me-centered world. And it's so true. It's like, you know, the world preaches nonstop. Hey, do whatever makes you happy. Do whatever it seems right to you. Do whatever, it, you know what I mean? Like, you got to look out for yourself and do for yourself. And, and that's the world in which we live in. And I think in a lot of ways, um, that's bled into a lot of churches here in, in America. And, and so, you know, there are a lot of churches that become very, uh, very me-centered. And so, you know, and then when we're me-centered, what happens is we don't see ourselves as a family, part of a family. We're like, well, I'll just, you know, if they don't, um, you know, if they preach longer than I want or they don't preach long enough or it's too hot or it's too cold or they only do contemporary or they only do this, if I'm not happy with that, if I'm right, and so like all these things that I'm like, well, so it's all about me and my preferences and what I want, and if I don't like it, then you know what I'll do, then I'll just go find another church. You don't get to pick your brothers and sisters. Like, this is a, this is a family, and so I'm not saying that we're always going to agree on everything, but I'm just saying family sticks it out. And family put other people's concerns before their own. And so it's not about our, our preferences. And we need to all care about one another. We need to care about others. And, and maybe, you're, maybe you're in here this morning and you're like, yeah, more people need to care about what I want. <laughs> if that's you, please, you're missing it. No, we need to care about others. We need, to, we need to put others before ourselves. We need to care about the growth of others. And it's not about what do I want? What, what do I like in a preaching style? What do I like in worship style? What do I call it community groups or Sunday school? Like, you know what I mean? Like, who cares? What does Christ want? What does Christ want? Well, let me tell you what Christ wants. He wants to see you grow and he wants to see you actively be a part of the growth of others within the family. That's what, that's what Christ wants. That's what he wants. And as we're shaped by Christ, that will shape our focus. So we've got to be invested in one another's growth as much as we are our own. Verse 12 says, to equip the saints, to the work, uh, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. They were members of a family, and it's, we're intended to build one another up within the family of faith, that we need one another. The discipleship is not, it's not an individual task. It's community-oriented. And really, this family is really the only place that we can like, stop and think about it. Family is where we see this happen. It's the only way it works. See, and I'm not saying this is across the board. That, you know, family, this is common. Outside the family, it's uncommon. And so in the workplace, it's not our responsibility to, to train and equip. That's the boss's responsibility. If you're in school, it's not your responsibility to make sure all your classmates are growing and thriving and learning and doing well. Whose responsibility is it? The teacher. If you play a sport, it's not my responsibility to ensure that people are doing and growing. Whose responsibility is it? It's the coach's. And so what happens is we see in every other area. Now, I'm not saying that people don't care and people don't help in the workplace or at school. or at your, like, 
I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying for the most part, it's, it's very uncommon. It's very common within the faith family, but very uncommon outside of that. And then beyond that, it's also like when we get outside of here, it, everything seems to be a competition or everything seems to be comparison. And so there's no way that I'm going to help another, somebody at my job to do well because, well, hold on. What if they pass me up? What if they get the promotion? Or, or if you start doing a great job, then you're going to make me look bad. And so, like, there's this, you, you see what I'm saying? And so I, or, or if you're, like, you're on a team and, you're, and, and all of a sudden you invest in somebody else, and it's like, well, no, hold on. You're, that means, what if you take my starting position? What if you, you, you see how different this is within the faith family as opposed to every other area? When it comes to family, like, I want my kids to flourish. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. I'm not threatened by my kids. Like spiritually, I want them to do far more and be far greater for the kingdom of God than me. Like I want to see them flourish just in life and success. And just, like just in life in general, like I want them to do well. And so I'm invested in them within the context of family. So you see how it's very different from every other is it beginning to, to make sense? I want my dad to do well. I want my, my sister to do well. I want to see my, my niece and my nephews to, to grow and to flourish. And here's the thing. We're all at different levels of maturity along the, along the path. But in the midst of that, we celebrate the different levels of maturity and the growth within those in the family. So my sister last year had, uh, had a baby. And so she's got um, her and... And my brother-in-law, uh, they have my niece who's about to graduate this year. And then they have Easton who, uh, like, just a little over a year old. All right? And so we've got my niece Olivia and then Connor and then CJ and Logan. And it's just a stair step all the way down. Like, graduating and just started walking. Okay? But, man, it's such an encouragement to see. And not, I'm just talking about their immediate family because all of us as a family, you know, how my family's embraced them. Like, you know, so Easton, uh, like Easton just started walking a few weeks ago. It's not like we were frustrated with Easton. Man, I'm just, if you've ever seen Easton sit, and I call him, I don't know if this will stick, we'll see as he gets older, but I call him Tank. He has got the head of a grown adult on his, like he is, I'm just grateful he can keep that thing upright. You know what I mean? It, and then to be able to keep it upright, to balance, and to take a step. You know what I mean? And so when Easton started walking, it's not like we're sitting around going, man, are you ever going to walk? Are you ever going to get this right? No, I'm looking, that's a big head. I am so proud of you. <laughs> it's not like Easton starts walking and I go kick him over and be like, man, you coming for my job? You, you know what I mean? Like there's no... No, we're celebrating together. And, and I've been walking for a lot of years. And I'm excited about the fact that he's walking. And then he's going to run. And then he's going to learn how to ride a bike. And he's going to, you know, all these things that we get to celebrate together. And we're all at different stages along the path. Some of you have been walking with God for decades. For decades. And we're going to, next Sunday, we're going to, baptize a few new believers and then we have people along the journey all different places and stages of maturity along the path 
but we should be mature we should be pursuing maturity together we should be invested in one another's growth we should be invested in the development of the people in our family just as much as we are our own we are not spiritual orphans we're sons and daughters we're brothers and sisters and i do want to say this too that we also have a responsibility like we take a we take responsibility we have to be committed to our own discipleship it's not just the the family's job to make sure that you are discipled that we have a responsibility we must be committed to our own discipleship we're committed to others but we're also committed to like i want to grow i'm a disciple i'm a learner i'm a pupil i'm an apprentice like like this is important i can remember when i first came to faith i i i uh Man, I didn't know anything. Literally did not know anything. And, uh, and, and so I'm like, and I, I had this misconception that if you're a Christian and you're a man, you have to be weak or you can't have any fun or both. And, and so like there was a man that I just gravitated toward it, towards it. Lowry Anderson, some of, you, some of you know Lowry. And I'm like, well, hold on. That's like he's a follower of Christ. He's not weak. And that dude is funny. And I'm like, man, and so what did I do? I'm like, I'm, I'm going to just, I'm going to, like anything I can learn, I'm, I'm just, and so I started, like I was going to his house, I went to his, we called it Sunday school back then, all right? So I went to his Sunday school, and, and like any way that I could learn. I, so I, I understood, I recognized that he is, he is, he steps ahead of where I am spiritually, but that's where I want to go. That's what I want to be. And so I'm going to learn from him. And so what does that mean? What does that look like? I'm like, okay, well, I don't know how to do this thing. And so I find somebody that's further along the journey that's where I want to be. And I begin to ask him, like, here's the situation I'm in. What should I do? Help me make this decision. How do I manage my relationships? How do I manage my finances? How do I do all these things? And then you know what I did? This, this is important. I did it. Because a lot of times we ask people what they think and then we're like, yeah, I'd rather just do my own thing. And so the point is, it's like we, we do hold a level of responsibility. And so we should always, ha- always have people in our life that are at least a step or steps ahead of us that we're learning from. And we should always have people behind us that are at least a step or steps behind us that we're helping to grow and mature in their faith. They're both so so important all right verse 12 let's wrap this thing up he continues on he says to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of christ until we all attain the unity. and really everything that we've talked about is just he's about to just drive the nail in the coffin here okay so he says until we attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of god to mature manhood to the measure of the status of the fullness of christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 
Deep discipleship is for a specific purpose. Deep discipleship is for a specific purpose. Church is different from, from any other in, institution. There's a ton in, in these last several verses, but I just want to point out two things. That, that Paul is pointing to mission and Christ-likeness as being our purpose. To mission and Christ-likeness. Being shaped and molded and, and made more like Christ, but how it's done within the context of the body of Christ. And so what is Jesus doing right now? Jesus is distributing gifts to the church to unite us in mission and build us up in maturity. That it's not just what we should be doing, but what Jesus is doing in and through the body of Christ as we speak. That we get to participate with God. That is an unbelievable truth and an unbelievable gift. And I would just say, hey, don't miss it. Don't miss it. There's a, there's a common trend in a lot of churches that, that people, there's this amateur expert divide, right? And so a lot of people see themselves as the amateurs and, you know, then you have the professionals that really get things done. And so, you know, you, maybe you look at your pastors and think that, hey, you know, that, that, that God has called them to make disciples, or maybe your leaders, maybe your community group leaders, or maybe maybe you've been in a D group before and you've had a D group leader in line. It's for the professionals, that, like that's that's for, for the pros. But I'm just an amateur. Like I, and, and there's this divide. We think the spiritually elite are called to do ministry, to do all the discipling, while I am just a spectator in the crowd, in the audience. This isn't an audience. This is the family. Okay, this is, when we gather in here, this is not an audience. We're, we're family. And there's no spiritually elite. Newsflash, I'm not the spiritually elite. Tony is not the spiritually elite. Matt, like, we're not, we're not perfect. We're not elite. We're, we're on the same process of spiritual maturity that you're on. And we want to do everything that we can to help you. And that's what this passage is saying. It's like that they're to equip so that the, the body, the family, can then grow and mature one another. One another. That's, what we, that's what we see. God is not interested in creating an audience. He wants participants. That's why in verse 12 it says, To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That, that you're to be equipped and then build one another up. That's your responsibility. In verse 16, From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint, with which it is, it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So there's no amateur expert. We're all in this together. And as we walk this out, we help build up and grow, grow the body. So let me, be, let me be clear. We should be asking, what am I doing with what I'm, I'm learning? What am I doing with what I've learned that it doesn't end with me and all members are called to maturity we're all called to grow in Christ likeness but we we are to play a role in the development of others now how do we do this and this is this is where we end deep discipleship is empowered by God empowered by God you know, the famous discipleship 
passage is Matthew 28, when Jesus says, Go into all the world and what? Make disciples. To make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then what is he, how does he end that passage? That's his final declaration before he ascends to heaven. He says, be, be making disciples. He says, and I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I know many of you in this room feel inadequate. Hey, I'm with you. Our confidence is not in ourselves, in our own abilities, in our own anything. Our confidence is in God. Our confidence is in the fact that that God is the one who equips us to do the things that he calls us to do. Some of you, you've been sitting on the sidelines and have not been doing what we've talked about this morning because you feel inadequate. Well, we're all inadequate. Our confidence is in God. And so... So, like, God has called us to be a part. This isn't just for somebody else. This is for everybody in the, in the family. And there are different stages and different ways. And, but the point I want to leave us with this morning is that we all play a role in the building up the body of Christ. We all play a role. And so, in summary of everything that we talked about, the local church is the specific place that discipleship happens. That we're adopted sons and daughters. And we're transformed through discipleship. We're transformed in Christ's likeness and equipped for his mission. And it's only possible through the indwelling and empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I'm so, so, so very grateful that I'm a part of this family. I'm a part of, uh, and a part of all the different ways that what we've been talking about this morning has already taken place. And so the invitation is for us just to, for everybody in the room, okay, what's the next step to step a little further in to God's plan and his will for discipleship in your life and in the lives of the people around you? Let's pray. God, we're so grateful for, we're so grateful for your word. We're grateful.